And let us pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You hear our prayers. I I yield to You for Your use, Lord. I ask that You would hear from our hearts those things that we lift up to You as we pause in silence for a moment. I'm called by Your name, Lord. You are the God of hosts. Please give me unction to speak what we need to hear today. We are lost without You. We thank You, Lord, for hearing our spoken requests, and we thank You, Lord, for hearing our unspoken requests, those things we've lifted from our hearts. We would wander aimlessly without Your Word to guide us. That or we'd be led astray. Please help us surrender to You. Help us, Lord, to see clearly. Instruct us with the truth of Your Word today. And I ask that You would overwrite anything that's contrary to Your Word. Give us wisdom from above to override any earthly or sensual or demonic teachings. And turn us completely to Yourself through Christ. I pray that You would clear distractions. I thank You for purifying us, Lord. I thank You for the sacrifice of Christ. I thank You that we can, in fact, partake in this act of communing, communion, communing together in the name of Christ. Please help me to speak clearly and concisely, and I ask that You would bless all who are within the sound of my voice. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Are we on there, Jim? Good. Almighty God has given us His Word as our guidebook for our lives. His Word sets the boundaries or the parameters within which we are to operate. He provides His Word to guide our actions and our behaviors during our time here on earth. Like any loving parent... He also provides discipline, but He sets the limits for our own good. It is for our good that His Word says to do certain things and to not do certain things. It is for our good that He shows us the way things are and the way that they are to be. He offers those boundaries as a blessing, but also He gives us blessings in response to our obedience. His Word says so. There are many blessings that Almighty God bestows upon His people who are obedient to Him. It's written in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture, all, is given by inspiration of God. Not some, not most, but all. So even some of those insignificantly or seemingly insignificant details are by inspiration of God. God gives us what He knows we need or what we will need. In that Scripture where it says that the man of God may be complete, 
It's translated from the Greek word anthropos, and that means a human being according to the Strong's Greek lexicon. It occurs 560 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And the Thayer's definition is a little more in-depth. It says a human being, whether male or female. In other words, all of us are included in, so the man of God or the woman of God. That's why I say man or woman, because it's in the definition, even though the word doesn't convey the idea to us in English. Whether male or female, generically it includes all human individuals, and it's to distinguish us from beings of a different order, including angels or demons or God Himself. God's Word provides insight into how believers have gathered from the beginning. And uh, I love my brother, and that's why I asked him to speak last week. But he said something that kind of alarmed me because I know his heart, his heart is to build the church. And, uh, but he said something that kind of alarmed me because he said we shouldn't only meet in homes. That's what the early church did. But that's not what the Scripture shows us. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating somebody up, but I've got to show you what the Scripture says. Those of you who were here heard him say that. And so you need to receive the whole counsel of God. First, we see in God's Word how He instructed His people to build a temple. This was before Christ. And that was because God wanted an ornate building where He would be worshipped to show His awe and wonder to the world. And then we see how He turned His people into His temple. We are the temple today. That's what His Word shows. We're not going to go into that teaching. I've already taught it a number of times in this building, and I trust that some of you were here, and if anybody has any questions about that, we can go into it maybe at lunch or some other time. God turned His people into His temple. So there's no more temple of worship. This building is not a temple of worship. Pastor Chuck nailed that. It was right on. This is not the temple. But it is a house of worship. This is a house. It was built specifically for worshiping God. God designed us to live forever, and His Word gives us everything that we need to live our lives here and hereafter. And that's what He wants, and that's what He has me here to share, is His way, His will, His Word, not mine, not my ideas, not my definition of things. It's His definition. What does He say? Learning His Word is the central reason that we gather in this building. That's the number one reason we're here. It's all about learning His Word. It's about focusing on Him. It's about worshiping Him. It's about praising Him. It's about glorifying God. It's about blessing God. It's not about us. It's not about what we want or what we think or what we believe. It's all about Him. And that is the most important thing any of us can take away from any message, that it's all about Him. This building's a house of worship, and we worship with His Word. We worship with song. We worship with praises. We worship in our giving. These are all aspects of worship. Because worship is bowing ourselves, humbling ourselves before Almighty God. And this 
building was constructed as a house of worship. When it was originally constructed, it didn't have a basement. When it was originally constructed, there was no room outside of those doors. There was a little entrance. When it was originally constructed, all of that stuff on the other side wasn't here. It was simply a meeting house, a house that was made for worship, specifically for that purpose. It was sanctified. It was set apart for that purpose. And there is no wrong in that. There is no harm in that. There's nothing that's out of the scriptural context of worship in that idea, okay? But some people have taken buildings like this, and they've turned them into idols. And you see it especially whenever you see certain things that you can't touch or you can't change. You see it in buildings like this whenever you see people's names on things, donated by or in remembrance of. And some of those things still exist here. We've tried, by God's grace, to erase those things because this is a house of worship to God, not a house of worship to self or a house of worship to others who came before us. Unfortunately, some people lose sight of that when there's a building like this that's in place as a house of worship. And we've started to call these houses of worship churches. These are not the church. You all are the church, the living body of Christ on earth. Now, we're not the only aspect of the church. The church exists all through time. And we'll get to see where the church met by looking into God's Word today. These buildings give us a climate-controlled place out of the weather. How many of you want to be out in the rain worshiping God? I have, but it's not the most comfortable thing. How many of you want to be out in the snow worshiping God? I have, but again, it's not the most comfortable place to worship. These places, these buildings give us a place out of the weather, and it helps us to focus on worship instead of focusing on self-protection or focus on uh, resisting the elements. These buildings provide a measure of comfort as we gather to fellowship, as we gather to learn from God's Word, and as we gather to pray to our Creator. But they're not necessary. We can meet anywhere. See, I'm not stuck on meeting in this building. Should God lead us somewhere else, that's where we will meet. But He hasn't led us to meet somewhere else. He's led us to meet in this building. That's where we are. That's where we gather. How many of you have a home where all of us could fit for corporate worship? I can't raise my hand. I doubt that any of us would be able to accommodate Every person that's in this building right now that is a part of this church, not this building, you're a part of the church that meets in this building, this house of worship. The buildings aren't necessary, but sadly, they become idols, as I said. And this has caused some to go to a different model of gathering, and I get that. But there are problems with that model, too, and I'm not going to beat it up. I'm not going to beat up house churches, okay? I love the idea of house churches where two or three are gathered, two or more are gathered. There in the midst is Christ. 
And some people say only the new church only, excuse me, the New Testament church only met in homes. That's not true. To believe that, we have to ignore the scriptures that tell of other places where believers gathered to praise and worship God. They'd be stepping outside of the boundaries of Scripture, which clearly reveals the truth. And that's why we need to revisit this. That's why we need to look at it, folks. We need to know the truth, because the truth sets us free from error. The truth sets us free from all of those things that do not line up with God's Word. This is a hard message for me to deliver, because I love my brother. I don't want to discourage what others are doing. But we have to remember, this is not wrong. And the Scripture bears that out. Many call the building the church, but anyone who sat under my preaching for any length of time knows that we are the church, not the building. And we willingly assemble together to do what His Word instructs. Before He ascended, Christ told His followers this, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. We just celebrated the remembrance of his death, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That was their hometown. It starts with us, wherever we are, preaching repentance, preaching the remission of sins is a command of Christ. And part of the way that we do that is right here with this, to hold up the papers. That's part of the way that God has set it up. He designed it, and when you look in the Scriptures, you see that preaching, somebody set up a pulpit, and I forget where the Scripture is. I'm sorry, I I don't have a reference to it or anything. Somebody set up a pulpit, and they preached from that pulpit. And preaching has been a part of the text of God's Word from the beginning. You look at Peter preached. They preached in buildings, and they preached outside of buildings. Preaching repentance and remission of sins is an aspect of our lives in Christ. And it's part of our gathering here in this building. As we read on in, in God's Word, In Luke chapter 24, that's where the passage came from, excuse me. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 53, we hear they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. This is the New Testament church. They were in the temple praising and blessing God. They weren't only meeting in homes. They were meeting in that big, ornate building. And as we go on reading, we see not only were they... uh, praising and blessing God, but they were preaching Christ in that same building. And we'll get there. Praising and blessing God is a part of our lives individually, and it's a part of our lives collectively. It's part of what we do together as a body. Christ's earliest church was continually in the temple, worshiping God. They were Jewish believers. That's what they knew. They were raised in the temple. The temple was the central aspect of their lives. Do you know that in this nation, early on, when a town was formed, the church building was in the center of the town or somewhere nearby, and the town grew around that church building? 
that house of worship. People were serious about worship. And so there was a building constructed that would be able to accommodate the number of believers that were in that area so that they could worship God in some measure of comfort. That doesn't mean they had air conditioning. We do. Thank you, Lord. Didn't mean they had heating, central heating. Probably had a wood stove or a fireplace in many cases. But they gathered together to worship. You see, the idea is not where as much as what we do. The place that we gather in can be large, and it can be formal, and there are lots of those. Or it can be small, and it can be intimate, and there are lots of those. There's no wrong way to worship God. God's Word is clear about that. In the first chapter of Acts, we learn that 120 people, both men and women, were gathered together in a special meeting place. It was called the upper room. And this room will hold about 100 people. We might squeeze 120 in. So the room that they met in was likely as big as this or bigger. It was not someone's kitchen or someone's living room. It wouldn't accommodate 120 people. Now, what we learn is, in God's Word, as Peter preached, the others were there to learn. They were there to hear the Word of the Lord. That's why we do what we do the way that we do it. That's the earliest model of what was happening in the New Testament church. The Scripture doesn't say this was someone's home. It only describes it, as I said, as an upper room. So how many homes, I'll ask you again, raise your hand if your home can accommodate 120 people. Anybody? I don't see any hands. How many of you, if you had a home big enough to accommodate 100 people, would want to have 100 people, 100 people or more in your home? Yeah, that's another one, right? This might have been the same place where Christ and His disciples had the Passover meal the night that He was betrayed, and that's found in Mark chapter 14. If you want to look up the reference, Mark chapter 14, you will find that they were assembled in an upper room. And my guess is that upper room was set apart for them to gather. And that's why later we see the apostles were together in that room with other disciples to the number of 120 people. That was the earliest New Testament church, and it's likely that that church met in that space for some time after that. We don't know how long because it's not recorded in the Scripture, but it's likely if they met there for the Passover meal, it was sanctified, it was made holy, it was set apart for that purpose, and it was used for that purpose, obviously, because we see where they met in that upper room, as it's called. We also learn about the early church in the second chapter of Acts. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So the apostles' doctrine is the teaching, and fellowship is what we do when we have lunch together or when we gather to talk, to sort through those things that all of us are going through. 
Because we're all living life on this earth, and life on this earth is sometimes complex. There are situations, there are circumstances, there are things that assault us in our lives. And then it's written that fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You see, this was communal living. They were living communally. Everybody pitched everything in together, and then it was divided, most likely by the apostles, who oversaw, they were the bishops, the overseers of all that was necessary for the people. And later we see where some people were complaining because they weren't getting their fair share. And so they chose seven men to be deacons, to serve the people. That's another message. We're not going there. I just wanted to bring that out. So, continuing daily with one accord, and it's not a Honda accord, with one accord in the temple. You see, now we have another reference to them meeting in the temple. This is the second reference that we find to them meeting in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And there we see they also met in houses. So there's two distinct places that we see right here in this text that they met. It wasn't just one or the other. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, we've recently had some folks that are with us today who gave their lives to Christ, and we're going to nurture them in their faith. Can we praise God for that? God adds. When God's Word says He added daily to the church, do you think He's putting a new brick in somewhere? Is He tacking on a new shingle or a piece of wood or putting a window in? No. He's adding souls to the church. That's what he's talking about, okay? Now, notice those two distinct locations, the temple and houses. The English word for house, okay, that English word house, the Greek word that's translated to house comes from the Greek word oikos, and it means a house. It means an inhabited house, a home, and it can also refer to any building whatever. It can also refer to a palace, the house of God, the tabernacle, or any dwelling place. It can refer to the human body as the abode of demons that possess it. That word, that same word, is used of us as houses of tents, of huts, and later of the nests and stalls and layers of animals, and the place where one has fixed his residence, one's settled abode, domicile. So it could mean a house, a home. And it also can refer to the inmates of a house, in other words, those who live there. All the persons forming one family, a household, and the family of God, the Christian church the church of the Old and New Testaments. So when it says from house to house, it could be referring to gatherings of believers, not necessarily in a home. They went from house to house. In other words, from gathering to gathering. 
whether those gatherings were in someone's home or not. And you have to look at this to understand that this is the biblical model for gathering. It is God's people. We are the church. That could have said, instead of saying from house to house, it could have said from church to church. But then we'd think it was these buildings, because our culture has brought that word, at least through thousands of years now, 1,500 anyway, 1,800 years maybe. That word has been used to describe these buildings. We are the church. We are the house of God. Two different locations. Paul told the church elders from Ephesus, if we look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, how he kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to them and taught them publicly and from house to house, from oikos to oikos. He didn't hold anything back. He taught it publicly, and he taught it in smaller gatherings. And we don't know how small those gatherings are or were. If we treat God's Word honestly, we cannot say that the early church only met in the temple, because it didn't. Nor can we say that it only met in homes, because the Word of God shows us that's not true. They met in the temple, and they also met in rooms large enough to hold more than a hundred people, like this room. And that's why you'll hear me refer to it as a room. It is a room. It's a room in this building, and it's the room that's set aside for worshiping God publicly. If we treat the text honestly by using the definition of oikos, we can see that they met any place available and suitable. They didn't take 120 people and cram them into somebody's living room. Didn't happen. All right? They met publicly and in smaller groups. And this is why we see the church adopting the small group model and, and bringing the home church idea into the body. It's important that we gather. That's the point. It's important that we learn from the Word of God. That's the point. It's important that we comprehend that the language that they used is different from the language that we use, and so we must search their language in the meaning of the words to fully comprehend to the best of our ability what it is that God's Word is telling us. We can't just take a word on the surface and say, well, that's what it says, that's what it means. And I love the King James Version of the Bible, but it does not clarify everything because it doesn't give the definitions of the words. It uses the best word that we have in our language to convey the thoughts of the word that was used in their language. And we have to be careful about that, folks. We really do. This is one of the reasons why we have study groups. This is one of the reasons why we gather on a, a weekly basis like this to hear from the Word of God. God's Word reveals a clear and unbiased picture. The early New Testament church met where any two or more Spirit-filled believers gathered. That's what's written. 
Our Lord said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That's in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. We are the church. We are the church. Not this building. And not a home. And see, that's one of the dangers of home churches is because the individual who is the owner of that home gets to feeling a little more privileged because it's their home that the church meets in. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to beat up home churches. We need to gather. And we can gather anywhere. We, we can gather in the park. We can gather out in the parking lot. We can gather in an open-air pavilion. We can gather in this building. And we can gather in each other's homes. Wherever we gather is where the Lord meets us. Wherever we gather is where the Lord meets us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, as I read earlier, it's written, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Who inspires it? God. So why do we have these details about where they met? Because God wants us to know. It's not where we meet. It's that we meet. It's for instruction in righteousness. It's for reproof and for correction. It's for doctrine. And this is what His Word is used for. So yes, if there needs to be correction, we need to bring it. And since an error is introduced, that error must be corrected in the same manner in which it was introduced, publicly. The Scriptures provide a record of where the New Testament church gathered. In the fifth chapter of Acts... See, this is ongoing. It's not just in the first chapter of Acts or the second chapter of Acts. As we move on, and we can continue, there's lots of examples. I couldn't show them all. We won't have time. But in the fifth chapter of Acts, we learn Peter and the other apostles were arrested and punished the second time. They were already arrested and punished for preaching Christ. And then they are arrested again for preaching Christ. The authorities commanded them again not to teach in this name anymore. And what did Peter and the other apostles say? We must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. So no matter who tells you you can't gather, no matter who tells you you can't preach, no matter who tells you you can't speak in the name of Christ, no matter who tells you you can't pray, no matter who tells you you can't sing, you must go against that. You must stand firm upon the Word of Almighty God, and you must preach, you must teach, you must sing, you must pray, you must do all things in the name of Christ. This is the Word of God. Wherever you are, there may come a time when buildings like this are shut down. And when that time comes, you all need to know that you, as baptized baptizers, you, as followers of Christ, must be willing and able to accept other brothers and sisters into your homes to do what it is that God Almighty, through His Word, tells you to do. I'm not saying we have to continue only in buildings like this. The home church is important, and it's going to become more important as time goes on. But after we hear about that, and they were released, we hear this. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, daily in the temple and in every house 
And those houses, again, were probably gatherings of believers. They wouldn't have been doing it in strangers' houses. And in every house, two places, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were doing it in both places. There's no way around that. We cannot honestly say that the early New Testament church only met in homes because the Word of God says something different. And we must understand that. Yes, we can meet in a building like this. Yes, we can meet in a home, but not exclusively. Those aren't the only places. We can meet anywhere, wherever two or more are gathered. I share this because our Creator's chosen me to teach and preach His Word in this building. If He hadn't, I wouldn't be here. I can affirm by Almighty God that I'm here by His grace to do what He has called me to do in this place. It's not what I, I, I didn't want to. I didn't decide I'm going to go there and I'm going to do that. No, He made it possible. He made it necessary. I had to give in to Him to be here because I was resisting Him. I didn't want to do this. So I know that it's of Him. This isn't something I chose to do. I reluctantly gave in to Him making me do it. I quit fighting Him. And so when somebody says that this is wrong, I've got to say God's Word says it's not. I'm certain of it. And this is why I'm sharing what I'm sharing. I share because He's given me and chosen me to teach and to preach His Word. And He uses me to the degree that I yield to Him. And you all hear me. I surrender to you, Father. Use me. Give me unction. Let me speak what you want me to speak. I don't want to say anything less, and I don't want to say anything more. And that's why I pray the way that I do. And I would suggest for any of you who use the, God, the Word of God and share the Word of God that you would pray that same prayer. God, take me and use me. Give me unction to speak. Don't let me say anything you don't want me to say. And don't let me say anything less than you want me to say. Remember, it's written in Romans chapter 15. For whatever things were written before, written before, those things that were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, including those that say that they preached and taught Christ in the temple and in houses, those things, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might give us hope. And we will have hope through those things, because we can know that no matter where we are, we can gather in the name of the Lord. No matter where we are, we can preach and teach Christ. It doesn't matter if we're in a building like this, and it doesn't matter if we're in a home. We can do that everywhere we are. He said, go into all the world. That doesn't mean just somewhere else. It means our part of the world, too, where we are, right where we are, in our own homes, if necessary, in our own families, if necessary, in our own job or our workplace if necessary. Wherever we are, we are to take the Word of God and we're to share it with others, even if we're commanded not to. Even in fact, in fact, as hard as this is, even if it jeopardizes the very thing that helps us to earn the living that we use to survive on this planet. And don't think for a moment that God won't supply your need through His riches and glory because His Word says He will. He does that. Everything that was written before is written for our learning, including the fact that the New Testament church met wherever they were, including the temple and in houses. While it's true the Scripture gives clear evidence of where the New Testament church gathered, 
History outside of Scripture does too. One only needs to seek the information to find much more. I did a very short search this week. Yeah, I know I was on vacation, but I had to work, okay? There was a lot of work to do, and I had to do some of it. Anyway, I searched the topic more than once. I've, I've searched it historically, and I've searched it again. And each time I found images of different types and styles and locations of meeting houses. For different messages, I wanted to see where did people meet, what, do, what does that look like. And uh, one of the, the images that really saddened me was when I saw these uh, ornate buildings that were empty. The windows were gone, sand is blowing through them in these uh, deserted locations. And I'm thinking, there were people that met in that building who loved God, obviously. They pooled their funds, they built the building, and they shared the love of Christ with those who would come into that building, and now it's empty. That really saddened me. The believers were long gone, perhaps for hundreds of years or maybe even a thousand or more. Another image that illuminated my thinking was that of underground buildings that were hewn out of rock in Ethiopia. Do we have a picture of that, Sherry? Yes, we do. That is a church. This, I don't have anything to point with. On this side here, you see the little opening? That is the entrance. They have to climb up this rock face to get into that building that they've created inside of that. There's at least one man standing on a ledge right there. I don't know if you can discern him. There's a man standing there. Okay? You got another picture, Sherry? Or does that, oh, here's inside. It's not somebody's home. This is about 1,500 years old. Is there, another, is there another picture? No. There was one that you could see the window that they made. They carved, they had a, a window, like one of those holes. Go back to the other slide, please. Like one of these holes. That's probably the entrance in that, or this might be the entrance. I'm not sure. But on the side, there was a, um, a hole that had stones that they had reduced the size of the window. They didn't have glass like this. They just had openings. The church has met wherever the church could meet all through time. And maybe these aren't from the earliest days of Christianity, but these places are believed to be 1,000 to 1,500 years old. The church is the people that gather in the name of the Lord. The evidence of ancient houses of worship is found everywhere that the Christian church has existed on this planet. There are church buildings all over the world. Everywhere. This is not a new phenomenon. We're not meeting in a building like this because somebody said, well, we should have a special building. 150 years ago, roughly when this building was built, people have erected buildings to worship God in from nearly the very beginning. And I found some evidence, I don't have slides of it, but I found some evidence of early church buildings that date back to 75 or 100 years after. These were excavated. 
And they found evidence that these were church gathering places. The church met in catacombs. The church met in caves. The body of Christ has met. That is the point. And I know I'm driving it home, but I want you to fully comprehend this is not my idea. It's not my opinion. It's not something that I believe other than the fact that it's in God's Word and in history that shows and proves out the point that God has met with His people wherever His people have gathered, wherever His people assemble, even in this land. We find houses of worships that have been used from the earliest days of the settlement. We have buildings that date back to the 1600s that are still in existence today, the oldest parts of which was they've been added on to. Unfortunately, countless numbers of buildings that once housed assemblies of believers have become abandoned. Antichrist forces within and without, inside and outside of the church, have caused those houses of worship to become forsaken because there weren't enough people anymore to sustain that house of worship, and so it was abandoned. And that's all over the world too. It's not just in this land. Current studies show that there are fewer churches forming than quitting Fewer are starting than stopping each year. But that doesn't include the underground church. The underground church thrives in areas where there's persecution today. We'll revisit this another time. Houses of worship have been repurposed into personal homes, art galleries, bars, restaurants, nightclubs, and even ice cream shops. We have one up in Parker, former church building now used as an ice cream shop. Chris and I visited it. We use a former church building to house our food cupboard and a clothing closet for those who are in need. What used to be the sanctuary, this part of this building is now filled with clothing like a secondhand shop. Nobody can say how many so-called churches, house churches, outgrew the house they met in. We don't know because there's no data. There's nothing that shows that house churches ever just stayed or remained house churches, but there's also no data that shows that they didn't and that they outgrew the house and that they decided to pool their funds and build a structure that was specifically for worshiping. In fact, that is my guess what happened. That's my guess. As the body of Christ grew, so did the need for spaces to worship. And so they built those spaces specifically for worshiping. And nobody can say it didn't happen because there's no evidence to support that it did or didn't. But that's my guess. And in closing, I'll wrap this up. I want to stress the facts of Scripture. Each of us is called by our Creator to assemble. We're to assemble ourselves together for worship and praise and blessing God and fellowship and prayer. We're not constrained to meeting in a building like this. That is for certain. But we're also not constrained to meeting in our own personal homes. That is for certain. The point is we must continue to firmly hold on to. And this is where we look in Hebrews chapter 10 and 23, verse 23. We have to hold firmly to our declaration of faith because He who made the promise is faithful. 
He's faithful. We must encourage each other and to show love and to do good works or to do good things. That's why we gather. That's one of the reasons why we gather, to encourage one another, to uplift one another, but also to correct one another, to reprove one another. That's God's Word. As it's written in Hebrews 10.25, we should continue gathering. We should forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as has become the custom or habit of some. And we must encourage one another even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. From the beginning, believers have gathered in homes and in many other places. We've gathered in caves and in open-air venues, and some still do. The point is not where we gather, it is that we gather. And I say, as Almighty God has designed us to live forever and His Scriptures guide us to live our lives within His boundaries here and hereafter, we must not narrow down the place to meet. That's not a point of contention, or it should not be. We need to gather, especially as we see the day of the Lord coming. Let's always assemble with other believers as long as we have breath, regardless of where he assembles us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I delight to do Your will. You are my God, and Your law is within my heart. I proclaim the good news of righteousness in this assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, as it's written in Psalm 40. You yourself know I've not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation, and I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from this assembly. I pray, Father, that these words have fallen on open ears and that the hearts that are here are washed clean of any error, that each of us, Father, would walk in your truth of your word, that we would be your people who assemble as long as we have breath, regardless of where you assemble us. And all of God's people said, Amen.